This is an amazing text. And I'm always amazed how God lines up what's going on in the life of this church, in, the, in my own life, uh, in the life of the folks around this church with what the story that, we, uh, that we're going through. It, it seems like I, it's almost random how I choose the text and then God always makes it fit so beautifully. So the first thing that jumps out is it said that the text that we're dealing with today says, He went his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Now we know that in Luke 9, 51, it said, When the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was moving toward Jerusalem. He was in Nazareth, and he's working his way back and forth through villages toward Jerusalem. And we all know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. On a, in a very small scale, this week I've had some, some test run, and you know the doctor always gives you the, the worst case scenario and the best case scenario, and we're going to do a little blood work, and then we're going to call you with the results, and they, they, I guess they forget that you want to know what those results are, right? And so for the last week, I've been waiting for this callback, and so every time the phone rings, you, you're like, oh, that's them, that's them telling me what's going on. And it, it weighs on you, right? Many of you have dealt with this in a far more dire way than I have. That when there's something kind of hanging out there, it's like uh, one of the speakers said, when your wife says to you, hey, we need to talk, right? That's never good. Nobody needs to talk. When somebody says they need to talk, that's never good. And there's nothing worse than your boss saying, hey, let's get together next Thursday. There's some stuff we need to talk about. Right? Because that's going to weigh on you. You're thinking, well, was it, was it, did I do something I'm not supposed to? And, oh, we'll just talk about it Thursday. It's like, no, you can't do that to me for the love. And so for the rest of the time, all you do is you're going around thinking about it. Well, if you think about this, try to humanize Jesus here. He's a man. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And so the text reminds us several times he's moving toward Jerusalem. The end of his ministry is near. These guys that he's teaching... That time is soon going to be over. And soon, he's going to be carried in front of the Sanhedrin. And he knows this is out there. It's got to be weighing on him as he goes. It's got to be pressure on him. So as he's going, he's working his way down. uh, Well, in the the Jewish term, he's going up, even though he's going south. Uh, He's going up toward Jerusalem. It really is. Where he is in Galilee is low, and then you're going to go up, 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 and then you're going to go up to a big hill, Zion, and you're going to be in Jerusalem. And so he's working his way from village to village, town to town, and as he's going, some dude goes, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, I get asked the same question in a different way on a super regular basis. Preacher, do you think that there are any Catholics who are going to heaven? Preacher, do you think there's anybody who's in the worldwide church of God that's going to make it to heaven? Preacher, do you think that can, can you be a Mormon and still be saved? That kind of question is exactly what he's asking here. Because the, the, if you look at the, the, the Talmud and the writings, that, that the Jewish writings that they would have been exposed to at this time, it says over and over and over that the only people who will inherit eternal life are those who have the birthright of Abraham. 
And so there, there's actually, a, I had it in the notes, and, and it, those of you who have ever taught anything know that you, it, you spend a lot more time taking stuff out than you do putting it in. I, t- I took it out. But essentially, it's a, 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 a verse out of the Talmud that says, the only Jews that won't make it to heaven are, and then it lists out murderers, people who do this, who do that. They won't make it to heaven. But the rest of the people who, who are of the seed of Abraham, they'll make it to heaven. Those of us who are Gentiles ain't going to make it. In this guy's theology. That's why he says, are, is it really that there's just a few who's going to be saved? Now, whenever I'm asked that, whenever somebody says, hey, preacher, do you think there are any Catholics who are going to make it to heaven? I always say, well, let me ask you this. Is there anybody who's going to make it to heaven because they're a Baptist? Hello? Well, Jesus takes it one step further And he totally personalized the question to, you need to strive to enter through the narrow door. You don't need to be worried about what's going to happen to everybody else. You need to work at it. And which has changed the way that I'm going to answer the question. In the future, get ready if if anybody's like, preacher, do you think that any Mormons are going to make it to heaven? I'm going to say the real question that you need to be asking is, are you going to heaven? And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many will seek to enter and will not be able. There are untold millions of people who have gone to church their whole life or who fought or or, or worked in, in Judaism to earn their way to God or they go to church every Sunday so that God will be pleased with what they did and they do everything that the culture tells them they're supposed to do. They don't dance, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't run around with gals who do. They don't do anything that they're not supposed to do. I cannot tell you the number of funerals that I've been to that people go, well, you know, he never went to church, but he was a good boy. He ain't never hurt nobody. He's got checks in all the boxes. And what Jesus is saying is, checks in the boxes ain't going to get you through the door. You and I can't be good enough. This week has been a great week in the life of this church. If I just kind of march through what, what we've, God has used this church to do this week, it's, it's, it's just exciting. We, uh, as a church, were able to join together with a, a group in our community, a restaurant uh, here in our community. And instead of doing a fall festival that's kind of just here for our kids, we were able to take the, 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 the message of the gospel and what this church says out of the streets. And we, we went with them and did our chunk or treat somewhere else so that we could be exposed to people who would probably never come to a church. We were able to, in the light of what happened in Pittsburgh and the, all the anti-Semitism that's going out, we were able to combat anti-Semitism in a very real way this week. On Wednesday night, we had a Jewish rabbi who came here and he said, the way to combat a- a- anti-Semitism is more Semitism. You need to be exposed to more Jewish people. And we were able to have a dialogue with him and love on him. I spent all day Wednesday going to, re- to, to places in Gadsden trying to find some orthodox, uh, uh, some uh, kosher meat. And the only thing I could come up with was Hebrew national hot dogs. That's it. 
In fact, I looked online and a couple of, of grocery stores say they carry kosher meat. And one of those grocery stores, I went and I said, hey, you said uh, on, your, your, on your, your online presence that you've got kosher short ribs. And he said, yeah, sure, come with me. And he took me to the pork. And I'm like, these ain't kosher. And he goes, yeah, I think they are. And I'm like, nope, I can tell you with a high level of surety that these are not kosher. And so he went and got the, the, the butcher and we talked for a while. And then as I was leaving, the manager said, excuse me, sir. He said, I, I am so sorry that we don't have anything. And he assumed that I was Jewish. And so he was like, we will order some kosher foods and have it for you. Uh, if you'll just give me your phone number, I'll call you when it gets in. And I was like, dude, I'm not a Jew. I'm, I'm Baptist. So um, I, I, I'll, I'll eat baby back ribs all day long. I'm getting it for somebody else. But we were able to, to head on combat as a church an issue that is troubling our country right now in a very real way. We had a Jewish family that sat right here that told me afterwards, he said, I've never felt comfortable in a Christian church before. Thank you for having us here this Wednesday night. We were able to, uh, this week I've seen members who were part of this church who were law enforcement praying with somebody. This week I've seen members of this church that were a part of the city council be recognized for the way that they've, they've spoken into the lives of our community. This week your pastor has been able to pray with a football team and, and, and we have gone to, we went and visited people in, 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 in the VA hospital. This has been a great week in the life of this church. You can be proud of what God is doing through this church. And you know what? none of that is going to get any of us into heaven none of the work that we do if we do it so that God will owe us is anything in fact it's sinful God when you get to heaven is not going to look you in the face and say where was your membership again let me, let me check that logs on that one well they were good from 54 to 68 and you came in in 69 so I don't think so that's not how it works and that's exactly how this young man thought that it worked. That because I'm a part of the nation of Israel, I'm golden. And Jesus is saying, no. There's a narrow door and you got to work to go through that door. Now, in the United States today, in America today, the latest Pew profile says this, the 83 of Americans are certain that there's a God. Americans who were asked, what is your religion? 70.6 of them said that they were Christian. 70% of this country said that they were Christian. Of that, you got 25% mainline evangelical Protestant, that would be us. 14.7% mainline Protestant, that would be like the Methodists and the Episcopalians. Um, you've got 6.5% that are historically black Protestant. 20% uh, identify as Catholic. 1.6% identify as Mormon, and that's divided up between other Mormon and Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You've got 5% who are Orthodox, like um, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, uh, Armenian Orthodox, you've got 0.8% as Jehovah's Witness, and point as, with all of those labels, you got 4% as other, 0.4%. I don't even know what the other could possibly be. I mean, at this point, we've gotten down to, 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 to high detail. So 70% in America would identify in the United States today as Christian. And yet, the world we're living in and the country that we're living in is not bearing fruit 
unto righteousness. It's just not. I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about how we have to pause the football games between the commercials because I don't want my kids to see that smut. We could talk here today about how there are places in Glencoe right... I recovered. <laughs> there are pl- I'm just trying to hold everybody's attention. That's all it was. There are places in this city where we, you could buy drugs of any imagination. There are areas of this country that you and I would not want to walk into because if you did, you wouldn't walk out. I looked online this morning. So far this weekend, there have been 34 murders in Chicago. And yet, 70% of this country identifies as Christian. How is that possible? How is it that the gospel's not having an impact on the way people live? How is it that there's still a 50% divorce rate in this country? How is that possible? That tells me that there's a lot of people who say that they're a Christian that aren't seeking after Jesus. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here or be, be ugly. There are people in this room that when you die... Jesus will say to you, I don't know you. The people that that Jesus is talking about as Jesus goes forward with the story, he says, let me find myself, you know, I fall off the stage and I lose myself in the, in the, the, the text. He said, many, many will seek to enter and not be able. And when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer to you. I don't know you. I don't know where you're coming from. And they'll say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. Specifically, Jesus is talking to that crowd in front of him that day. That's why they would say, hey, we heard you teaching to Jesus. But quite a few of us in here, we've, we've grown up eating and drinking in His presence. We've taken the Lord's Supper. We've seen God move. We've been in a room when the Holy Spirit of God fell. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not what the issue is. The issue is, do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? And Jesus said at the beginning of this, work hard to enter the door. I mean, the the word that's translated here as uh, to, to work to enter the door is the same word where we get the English word agonize. It should consume you. I don't want anyone, I don't want myself to own that day to be standing in front of Jesus and have him say, depart from me, I, I don't know you. And so Jesus doesn't let the person that asked this question, I called him a young man before, but there's no indication it was a male or female. It just doesn't say. Jesus wants this person 
to look inside their heart. And he wants us to look inside of our heart. Now, there's one door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, specifically in another text, I am the door. Now, I will tell you something interesting about that that phrase that Jesus used then. Because when I hear I'm the door, I think of a door, like these doors, right? That's what you think of in your mind. A door that you would open, a door that you would close. When Jesus said that, what, this is what he was referring to, though, and it wasn't that. Okay, so if you were a shepherd, and it's still that way, this way today. When I was living in Turkey, we had to have a, a job, right? You couldn't tell people you were a missionary, uh, so I had what we called an STS, a simple, truthful statement. If somebody said, so what are you doing in Turkey? I, I didn't, didn't have to lie to them. I could just say, have a simple, truthful thing that I could tell them that what I did. The first year we were there, it was I taught English. Uh, I, I taught English in the local university, and um, I, I realized I was bad at teaching English when we were, were doing an a exercise one day, and this guy walks up to the and goes, uh, can I have a hat dog? And I said, oh, I am teaching you guys bad. Some guy from Gadsden, Alabama does not need to be teaching English. So I transitioned to, we had an adventure travel company where we would go out on hikes. And we did alpine hiking, which meant we didn't carry a lot of gear. We carried fish hooks so we could fish our way, and we, we carried all the stuff. And then I would carry uh, bacon grease to, to, to cook, and we would cook there, build little fires. And once you get above 10,000 feet with the tree line, you actually have to have a stove because there's no wood to build a fire with. You're, it's just rocks and, and grass. And so and we went up... Uh, and you, as you're hiking around, you run into shepherds. They're everywhere. In fact, they have a, a way that they communicate where they stack up little rocks. It's really super cool because, like, if you run goats through, they eat grass at a different place that sheep do, which is at a different place than cows do. And so the way they communicate that, hey, a, a goat herder came through here was the way that they stack up rocks. And everywhere you went, there would be these little stacks of, stacks of rocks. And w- one particular place that we were hiking, which was at about uh, 13,000 feet, which is pretty high. You're starting to get oxygen deprivation. You're starting to have to, about every hundred steps, you're having to stop and take a little bit of a break. There's what looks like the peak, and so you think you're getting to the peak, and it's actually a false peak. When you get and cross over, you actually come to a yila, which is a valley that kind of opens up, and there was a little lake in the middle of it, and then you saw the real peak with snow on top of it, and it really broke all the all the, my hikers' hearts because they would get to the top, and I'd never tell them. They'd get to the top and be like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And But there was this beautiful valley up in the top of the mountain, and in that valley, like I said, was a little lake, and, and there were fish in that lake, which always, that meant that they were frozen like six months out of the year, which is super cool, and, and so you'd look at the lake, and then right beside the lake there was this stack of rocks and the the rocks were about chest high and that stack of rocks made a circle just a little circle I mean like literally uh the size of like a a a a above ground pool that you might have behind your house it wasn't big and it was just a stack of rocks and that had been maintained for thousands of years and it made a big circle and then at the end of that circle was an opening that just the rocks just stopped. I mean, it was not fancy at all. If you had a big pile of rocks, you could make one of these in probably five or six hours. It's just a big stack of rocks, and there's an opening. And what would it, the shepherds would do is they would run their sheep up there, and it, it, once you see one up close, you start looking for them, and you see them dotting the countryside all over the place. And what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would run his sheep inside of that, that pile of rocks, that fenced-in area, and then he would sleep 
in that opening. He was the door. And so the sheep couldn't get out and run off because they had the shepherd sleeping in the door and they would wake him up when they jumped over him. And nothing could get in to hurt the sheep because they would have to go across that shepherd which would wake him up. The shepherd wasn't representative of a door. The shepherd was the door. Jesus is the door. The way that we get to heaven is him. And so it's easy for us to forget that because of all the stuff that we do in church. But the way that we get to heaven is him. Wednesday night as we sat right here with an with, with orthodox rabbi and he explained to us that what the law says is that you have to do the things that the law tells you to do and as you do them over and over and over that becomes habit and that changes you from the outside in. And he finished his statement which was clearly prepared and he had kind of modified it to talk to Christians and I said... Yeah, I get that. My problem with that is I can't do it. I keep messing up. And so I need God to change me from the inside out. I need God to come in and take out my heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And what Jesus is saying here is don't be a person who thinks because of some external thing that you're going to make it to heaven because you're not. The only way we get to heaven is through the door. And there's only one door. And it's not a religion. It's not a list of stuff to do. It's not anything except a day-by-day relationship with the door. Who is Jesus? Now, I know this seems like well, Anne would call it a donkey stomper if it's all, you know, y'all going to go to hell unless you do what you want or do what Jesus said. And um, there's a really cool part here that's, that's, that's not beating up on you. And Jesus said, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Now that one, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. We use that in the church all the time, like right on Wednesday night meals. I, I hear it every time we do a meal. Guaranteed that when we do the Thanksgiving meal, somebody's going to say that to somebody who went through the line last and then ended up getting in the dessert line first. Somebody's going to say, because I hear it every time, ah, oh, he's last will be first. And so we know, we're familiar with this, term, with this phrase and we know kind of what it's saying. And I want you to look at it in its context and think about what he's teaching here. Recently, uh, within the last year, I had uh, a youth that was asking me if it was okay for her um, as a, a, a white girl to date a black guy. And I, I said, well, I can tell you that as a father, I would a whole lot rather my daughter marry an African-American believer than a white heathen. A whole lot rather that. So I don't even understand the question. And she said, well, the Bible says in the Old Testament for that, the, that the races shouldn't, shouldn't mix and that you should, you should not intermarry. And I'm like, are you for serious trying to use that to justify? Uh, hold on a sec here. Let's think about this for a minute. When all the conversation in the Old Testament is there about the chosen people, 
I hate to break this to you, honey, but that ain't you. When God was giving that to the chosen people, your people were in Germany eating each other. Your people were in Ireland painting their teeth blue. This ain't got nothing to do with you. You're the heathen. You're the Gentile that God is telling the Jews not to marry. We're the people outside of the covenant. All the stuff we read in the Old Testament about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their children and their children's children, that those promised people, that nation is Israel. It ain't America. Now, that may be sad until you read this text. Because this Jewish person is saying, isn't it only going to be the Jews that make it to heaven? And Jesus is saying, no, the question you need to be asking, are you going to make it to heaven? And then he says, there will be those who come from north and south and east and west who will recline at the Father's table. That's us. We're coming from all over. Do a 23 and me. There ain't nobody in here that's not a mutt. We're coming from all over. And we're getting to go to the table. And we're getting welcomed to the family. And we're adopted into the family because of the son of Abraham who went to the cross and said, it is finished. We're adopted into the family. We get to come to the table as sons and daughters and recline with the father. We're the ones who are last and will get to be first. We're the ones that the story wasn't about that got adopted in. We're the wild root that got Grafted into the root of Abraham. We don't deserve it. We don't have a birthright for it. It was a free gift. Where God looked across time and eternity long before he ever said to Abraham, through your seed I will bless the nations. Long before he ever established the nation of Israel. Long before he ever started working the mud into the land. The Bible tells me in the book of Ephesians, before the foundations of the world, you, if you are in Christ, if you walk with him, you were chosen. God looked across eternity and said, that one right there, she's mine. I will make a way against all odds, against our own fighting against our own salvation. No matter what happens, I'm taking her. I'm taking him. He's mine. And I will transform him or her into the image of Christ. And not only will I save them, I will use them to build my kingdom. Woo! Are you kidding me? We have no right. We have no authority by birthright. And yet God in his infinite love sent his only son, the root of Jesse, and made a way where you and I, thank you Lord, could get saved. Father God, Lord, I pray that we would bear fruit unto righteousness. God, that we would be used by you. But God, I pray that we would ever work to grow in our relationship with Jesus that that would never become old hat that would never become so comfortable we ignore it God that we would strive as Jesus said here
to grow in our walk with your son. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for how often I've taken that for granted. God, I pray that you would forgive me for how often I've made an appointment with you and then left you waiting while I went and watched TV. God, forgive me for how often I love the sound of my own voice rather than waiting to hear from you. Lord, I pray that in this room your spirit would convict and draw and change. God, I pray that we would long to walk with you. That we would get to know you as a friend. We would obey you as a master. And we would love you as a savior. In Jesus' name, amen.